how did I figure out I wanted to go into ICAC? And I'll tell you, I, I was leaving my desk one time to go do something, and I saw Bruce at the copier, and he was making copies. But he was in, like, a, a Hawaiian shirt and shorts and flip-flops, and he had a beard. And I was like, Bruce, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm making copies for a case. I'm like, bro, you come in here on your vacation or something to do that? And, and he's like, no, that's what I wear to work. And I was like, I want to wear that to work. <laughs> I want to wear flip-flops and shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. And he goes, and his words to me were, be careful what you ask for. Um, and the reason it sticks with me is because I was late to the game. I didn't learn about it fast enough, and I couldn't take action fast enough. And as a result, a, a child was victimized by an offender who came here from another state. Like, there are videos that I have seen that absolutely haunt me. The one thing, if there's anybody listening that's in law enforcement that has a desire to get into this arena, I strongly encourage it because it's very satisfying and rewarding to put someone in a, in a, a way that will never have the opportunity to hurt another kid. I would just recommend the volume. Turn the volume down. Don't listen. Because the video in itself is horrific. But when you hear what's going along with the video, it will make your stomach turn. It will make you throw up. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assist the Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree. And we all make mistakes. But together we can grow. We can heal. And we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back, ATL family. I'm Joe King. I'm sitting with Kent Wolverton. Today we have a very special guest co-host, Sergeant Jessica Criddle. She came back for more. I want to give uh, the listener a warning on today's episode, as the material will be very heavy and shocking and disturbing to some, including uh, other officers and first responders. I'll just say that all listeners will be disturbed on some levels that this kind of crime goes on, and it goes on to the most innocent kind of victim. January 1, 1983 is considered the birthday of the internet, but it was made available to the public in April of 1993. The World Wide Web was announced. And with this revolution in communication and worldwide connectivity came the criminal element, the downside, as it always does. Today's episode will be topic-based and will feature a guest you've heard before on this show, the great Garland PD detective, Tony Godwin. He's been with Garland over 30 years, He has 18 years of experience investigating ICAC, Internet Crimes Against Children. Today we'll dive in, break down this topic, and profile some of these predators to inform the community 
and also other first responders. Because this, this unit is, is still somewhat secretive within each department. We have our own too here in Dallas. We want to inform parents of what to look for so that these predators cannot prey on their children. With all that being said, Detective Goblin, welcome to the show. I appreciate you very much. Thanks for having me. Yep, that's for round two. Yeah. You don't we don't have Clint here to yeah, punch, right. punch in the crotch. So yeah. it's it's gonna be you. Well, I'm sure there'll be other opportunities. Yeah. So we do you know, you 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 listen to our show. We do a lot of story time based on individuals and right. uh we're gonna we touched on your career and also your podcast, Catfish Cops, but I want this to be more topic based, like our dynamic warrant uh, episodes, mm-hmm. uh, because this is there is so much that I don't even know, and that's why Sergeant Criddle, I think she was crucial to be in here because she has actually worked this unit. In her episode, she talked about um, a case that haunted her. Yeah, and we're going to get into some of that with you, but I want you to kind of break down um, as much as you can without showing all of your cards, because sure. you know we're still out here. We do. You have a mission. We all have a mission to. Uh, protect the integrity of any investigation but we want to give the listeners we want to raise awareness and also just kind of get some background on how this started and how it's evolved and where you're at now and your involvement because you were at the forefront sure absolutely all right 98 united states uh, department of justice began an internet crimes against children uh task force icac and it tasked the ever-growing problem involving the sexual exploitation of children via the internet and then after that was created, am I right? Did it basically spawn to local jurisdictions and, and state and state right. agencies? Right. The ICAC task force nationally was formed in order to combat a lot of the online exploitation that was going on, um, and it's it is uh, consistently growing and growing <laughs> from there, based on the amount of work that comes in, and you know, getting more people trained up to do this. Well, I imagine just the evolution. Um, you've done it 18 years, just the evolution of that was going on. And actually, everybody has gotten more familiar because when, you yeah. know, the World Wide Web popped up, people didn't probably didn't think it was going to last even. Right. And now you got people that are becoming more involved and they and criminals will find a way. They always find a way to work yeah. any system to their advantage and get what they want out of it. Right. And they've done the same with this. So. How long have you been with Gar- Garland? Over 30 uh, years? 30 years, yeah. Okay. How much longer are you doing? Uh, two, no. maybe. Why are you winking at me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so when you got, when you got to Garland, uh, you know, the listener heard, you know, I'm, you added so much to Clint's episode, uh, Clint McNair, because uh, you're, you know, best friends for all yeah. this time and classmates. And, yep. you know, we kind of got into what you like to do when you were uh, out in the streets and rookies. But we, we just barely – touched on what you do uh your full-time job now Mm -hmm. and what you are you may not call your call yourself an expert but you're an expert at this at this uh topic i yes i have uh, received that designation officially a few times in court probably five or six times uh state and federal court so in some areas yes i would be considered an expert but i i do have a lot of experience in this area well god bless you and I'm sorry that you have to, <laughs> you've had that much yeah, experience. I, in this. I appreciate that. Cause uh, I, I really want to, I really, I gave a warning and I'm going to give a warning on this episode description because it, there, there are some heavy, th- this is really heavy and just yeah. really awful. But thank God there's people like you and Sergeant Criddle when you did it, it, that 
to get some semblance of justice because right. you know it, that's all you're really getting. So when you got to uh, when in Garland, they started up ICAC. What was what was the unit state then? When when it how did that look? Were you there when it started, or was it? I was. I was there when it started. Okay. Uh, the very original guy's name's JD. Um, he it was kind of kicked off and spawned through one of our lieutenants who had heard about it as it kicked up, and um, it was it was way different back then. Like very very little people, very few people knew anything about what was going on, where they were in the department. Like they were hidden and kind of secreted off into some closet somewhere, literally. And so there, there really was no ever talk or mention about it. Nobody really knew. Very rarely you might hear about something in a shift report, like some kind of report you've never even seen before. Like, what is that, you know? Um, and then uh, J.D. ended up uh, moving on to something else. And the guy that took his place, his name is Bruce Marshall. He's uh, my mentor in this field. He, you know, came in and, boy, he hit the ground running. Like, he had new ideas and new thoughts and – on how to do things and just thinking outside the box. And he was amazing at the job. Um, and he stayed in there for a very long time. He was sort of the impetus for me even having an interest in, in getting into the unit. I was a, a case-carrying detective at the time. I was carrying kid cases. And so I was already exposed to that. And it's not something I chose. I was just put in there when I got in the unit. And um, But when I saw what ICAC was doing and, and how it was – uh, happening. Uh, there's actually kind of a, a funny story to this because uh, I've been asked this before. How did I figure out I wanted to go into ICAC? And I'll tell you, I I was leaving my desk one time to go do something and I saw Bruce at the copier and he was making copies, but he was in like a, a Hawaiian shirt and shorts and flip-flops mm. and he had a beard. And I was like, Bruce, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm making copies for a case. I'm like, bro, you come in here on your vacation or something to do that? And and he's like, no, that's what I wear to work. And I was like, I want to wear that to work. <laughs> I want to wear flip-flops and shorts and a Hawaiian yeah, shirt. Yeah. He goes, and his words to me were, be careful what you ask for. And um, a couple of years, you know, a year or so later, uh, I got fortunate enough to get pulled into the unit. And he was absolutely right. Be careful what you ask for. So you dealt with child crimes before, what were the child abuse type? Right, yeah. Okay. Uh, primarily sexual abuse and physical abuse of kids. Uh, you know, we handled, because, you know, we're not um, as huge as Dallas, uh, you know, we do specialize. So if you work kid crimes, you work them all from runaways up to, you know, the worst things that happen to kids, yeah. physical abuse. And um, so for that reason, you know, I, like I said, I didn't pick it. I would have gone anywhere they asked me to go, and that just happened to be where the opening was. And But I saw the impact you could make. You know, you could you can really empower kids to get back on track, and you could really put bad people away that need to be put away. So did you have kids at the time you were investigating these child crimes before? So I did. Yeah. How did – I mean, how did you – wrestle with that in your mind and, and 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 come to grips with you have to separate one from the other and, and you know everybody you're human yeah absolutely i mean there are certainly aspects of that type of work and exposure to that kind of material and and the tragic things that kids are going through that affects you personally um i feel like i'm really grounded in my faith i'm really grounded with my family i don't 
pull punches. Maybe it's to the detriment of my kids. They're all adulting now. I got one left that's not there yet, but close. Uh, They may have a difference of opinion (laughs) about my openness and honest, you know, honesty with them about what was going on and what's really happening because I, I didn't want them to go into life blind to the fact that, um, you know, you can't live your life in a bubble. You have to know that there's an awful lot of good. There's a tremendous amount of good, but there's an element of evil that exists and you need to be aware of what that is. And so that's how I just approached it. Um, from young ages, and like I said, they may have issues now. <laughs> Did you ground them from having any computer in their vision until they're twenty-two? You know, you you think that that would be the case, yeah. and uh, but no. But on the flip side of that, they didn't go uh, unfettered access. Like I, I would back then, I could limit the number of you know minutes. I could limit the number of messages. I could limit different things. Just technology was. Uh, prehistoric, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was terms. like back in FlashNet days and AOL Messenger. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, take, right, yeah. yeah. Take and so three I three hours to download a pic. Yeah, and so like what there kind, was. What kind of pics were you looking for, Joe? <laughs> Only the best kind. Yeah. The wholesome, classic very cars. wholesome. Yeah. yeah, Norman Rockwell paintings. That's all I look at. Yeah, the classic mm, defeat. Sure. They get to a certain <laughs> the point and then they stop downloading because <laughs> your dial-up connection was terrible. Yeah. right? but yeah, I, I definitely would keep an eye on things of what was going on, where they were going. And, and that's always been the case. I bet you were. So you got into computer where you, you go from child abuse and and that child crimes to internet crimes against children and the internet, it was out there was established, but it's still growing and evolving to this day. Yeah. So did you have much knowledge of computers, uh, your own personal life or did you have a absolutely not okay I was, wow. uh, and i tell this often i go around the country and currently and i i teach other law enforcement how to do the job that i do and that's really where my passion is but i tell them all the time like i have people say hey i don't i don't even understand computers i'm like don't let that be the hurdle it's just the tool it's just a tool that you're using like literally it's like your pepper spray and your asp or baton or whatever it's just a tool on your belt and so you can learn it if you want to learn it. Um, and so I was in the same shape. I could send an email. I could like do a little, I could probably pay a bill online at the time. And that was even uh, a little much, but absent of that, I couldn't do anything with a computer. I definitely knew how to turn one on. Um, so working with the early on, you know, in, in the ICAC, you starting off doing it and your mentor, I mean, it, it changed probably within a matter of a couple of years of when yeah. you started teaching you to what it, you know, what you were, uh, stuck with. So what were some of the investigative techniques you did back then? You know, I'll be honest in the, in the early days in, uh, like Oh seven, Oh eight, like it was fish in a barrel. It literally was like the, uh, Yahoo chat rooms were mm. the craze back then. And so you could literally go into a chat room. And at the time when I, when I started, the chat rooms were named, if they were created by a user, they were they were, had very specific names, and so some of them you could just tell right off the bat, like it was going to be, you know, related to child exploitation, like daddy daughter, or you know, wow. some kind of topic that just seeing the topic or the name of the group would make you cringe. Um, but then 
Yahoo tried to clean that up. And so they just gave them generic numbers. And so you just, you know, you'd enter in a term, like I would just go into Texas and there'd be 50 rooms for Texas. And I could just jump into a room and I wouldn't do anything. I'd just sit in a room. And then all of a sudden, bam, 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 all these messages start flowing in. And you know within a minute or so whether a case is going to move forward, like really very rapidly. So you got in some of these rooms and just you had did you have a certain username like a just not exactly just a certain username that you that was almost like bait for a not fish i mean was it that that it would draw them to it yeah that's evolved over time right there's been some evolution in some of that um honestly the the number one factor back then was to have a name uh that was high up in the alphabet and the reason for that is this back then and because it was so popular, you were listed in a room alphabetically. So you were always sort of at the top of the list, always. And so um, generally, I would create a profile. Didn't really matter what your profile name was. Could be anything. Uh, some, some school of thought would think, well, you throw a number in there to represent what age you are. And, and there's some – that's definitely not the – situation anymore this is all very very old school thinking uh but alphabetically was really the key so that's what i would do wow i remember those early uh yahoo chats and uh, dallas chat rooms and aol chat rooms and you know uh i remember i got it was in one and i didn't know what the hell i was doing somebody (laughs) sends me a message and it was a female it had a female name it probably it's probably you yeah sitting there (laughs) so send me a message and it just said asl with a question mark right and i sit back in my chair and i kind of rub my chin i go yeah asl asl i just sent i was like i don't know what asl is but i'm into it i'm just gonna say yes (laughs) so i send back i send back just yes they send back age sex location typed out with a question mark and then i then I just logged out. I just exited that room. Goodbye. Yeah, I'll yeah. see you. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the room for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I was just I didn't I didn't know what it meant, but yeah, yeah. I'm down. I'm down for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever yeah. ASO is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time, always. Yeah, lots of lots of little acronyms like that. That's when I said you would know very quickly if it was going to continue or not because that was always the first thing ASL. And if I said I'm 12. Uh, either the response is going to be, oh, that's cool. Do you like older guys or gals or whatever it is? Um, or it was the extreme opposite. What are you doing? You're too young. Get out of here. And you're blocked or banned or something like that. But here's my phone number. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the biggest challenges early on you you were finding to try to actually catch these folks? Uh, you know. So the big misconception a lot of people have, especially when I go teach other law enforcement, is what you are allowed to do. We have a, a national standards, ICAC standards, and uh, I am wickedly strict to the standards. Um, rules are in place about things we can and can't do, and you don't deviate from those. And if you do, you're doing it wrong. And so the the misconception i guess is that people believe that hey we just go online and say hey i'm a 12 year old and anybody want to have sex and that is absolutely not the case right we're not looking to entrap anybody so we do have to follow um the practices that are put in place and they've evolved over the years um so it's a little difficult uh, the other misconception is you just jump right in and you don't i couldn't file a case i couldn't even work a case and file a case for close to 18 months back then because 
at that time, there were core courses that you had to take as uh, an investigator working ICAC and part of the ICAC task force. And so if you didn't have those core courses under your belt, and the, the upside is the courses are free. The downside is the courses are all over the country. Mm-hmm. So your department <laughs> is having to fund you to stay in a hotel and have per diem and, and fly you to a, some other state. Wear Hawaiian shirts. Yeah, and wear Hawaiian yeah. shirts and, and then learn how to, you know, be a kid online. Well, what kind of – did you have support from the from the department, like, when it first initially hit? I mean, was it – because it was new in yeah. infancy state. Uh, um, oh, absolutely. I've had support. Like, I I cannot speak highly enough for the Garland Police Department. Like, they – I have not gone without anything. Anything that I've ever needed or wanted, they have made some accommodation to make that happen. And, um, and so, it, you know, when – outside looking in and you have other other detectives and other units who see that I'm traveling for you know 18 months going to different places and doing all this schooling um, you know but the situation was just different you it's just what was required for the job um, and so you know I just embraced it for what it was during the it, it wasn't like I wasn't doing anything for the 18 months I was I was reading cases I was going through Bruce's cases and I was I've had him come in and just mentor me and, and give me advice and guidance. And I would just practice nothing to make a case. I just practice and, um, and just get the feel for it because it's a whole different environment. Was it just all too? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've been and, on the Island by myself for quite a while. And you're still, uh, how, I mean, I, okay, we're going to get into how it's grown and evolved. That just baffles yeah. me. I mean, cause, cause I, the reason I ask about support because, excuse me, here in Dallas, I mean, you know, there's a lot of calls holding all the time or there's yep. something going on over here and they start looking at every unit to try to to trim sure. the fat off of. And, and that ne- that never was like, well, is it, this really needed over here? I you thought know? it would happen yeah. uh, simply because I, I physically remember getting in the office, which again was way down a hallway near nobody in a in a former closet that had been uh, turned into an office. And I just remember sitting there and thinking, wow, like we didn't really have reactive type cases where parents were, I mean, we had them, but they were really far and few between where a parent intercepts something on their kid's device or something and calls the police. Like those were really far and few between. And so back then it was a proactive job. Like everything you did was what you generated. And so I internally had some struggle with that because I thought, nobody knows what I'm doing here. Like I have a, a boss that my boss knows because I'm telling them what's going on. Um, and so I literally started a word doc. And for my first two years in the unit, every day, I just start a new date and everything I did. Journaling. I, did this, yeah. I, did, yeah, I was just journaling everything I did because <laughs> I thought nobody knows what I'm doing. There's no metric to measure what's going on. And if they come to me to say, what the heck you been doing? Like, we didn't even know you were in this closet kind of yeah. a thing. And I could say, well, here's what I've been doing. And so it was really up to me to, to, it was probably paranoia on my part. But, no, yeah. um, but that's a valid yeah. paranoia in, in this yeah. profession because you have bosses that initially are supportive. <clears throat> yeah. They promote, they retire, yet yep. somebody else come in and there might be a time where you're asking, even like with this new, you know, talked about this new wellness shoot, we're just starting up. You're going to have to show something later on down the road yep. for somebody to show you, you know, why you're needed. 
Yeah, because you know we we work based on a reporting system, just like every other agency. And if you were to run stats on my employee number for a particular month or a two month period, you you're going to be like, "Guy's a slug." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he ain't mm-hmm. doing nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, where it's quite the contrary, you know. All right. Speaking of that, um, can you kind of walk us through how a case comes to you and how it starts from just walk us walk the listener through it, and even me, I, I don't I don't have a clue. Sergeant knows. Yeah. Just A to Z. Okay. So I'll talk in the realm of reactive cases, meaning mom or dad are trying to do their due diligence and they are looking at their kid's device or their phone or their laptop or their tablet, something along those lines. And they intercept something on there that they believe to be highly inappropriate, whether it's imagery, videos, um, communications, or just a general ooky feel of what they're seeing or encountering and so a couple different things happen depending on who has discovered the material moms and dads do things very very differently Um, most of the times moms will call the cops and so let's just run it through that they call the police they make a police report Um, we have now currently in today's time frame we have a an information report called information icac we've never had that in the past that's only been around a couple years Uh and that's because of the need to address you know statistic wise what we've got coming in and and all that and so that report gets then assigned to me it involves a child it involves the internet or a suspect on the internet Uh, that's my purview. And so when I get that case, I obviously read the reporting officer's report of things. I try to determine, okay, where's the device? That's the number one key for us in today's environment. Um, I will call the person who reported, mom or dad or whoever, and say, look, I you pay for the device. This is your device. Yes, it is. You allow your child to use this device. Yes, it is. Uh, I need your permission to examine that device. And so that's typically what happens next. I give them a general, I don't talk to the kid. Um, We have a whole process for that at the Children's Advocacy Center. There's a whole MDT process that we use. I'm a firm believer in that process. What does that stand for? Uh, The Dallas Children's Advocacy Center. And so that CAC process of having kids forensically interviewed is how every agency should be doing business. Dallas does it that way. Too. Yeah, oh, we do it that way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, listen, I cut my teeth with DPD in the beginning. I was down here with old heads like Greg Duggar and Lori Rangel and um, Joe Corden and all them. Like, I literally cut my teeth down here in Byron Facet. Like, I spent almost a month down here in the beginning just watching and learning, uh, being a sponge. And so, essentially, once that phone is dumped and I have some sort of idea, the, the key thing typically is preservation of evidence and that means if there's online accounts that's the kids account and the suspects account and being able to determine that uh, early on is sometimes a challenge because a lot of kids aren't really forthcoming with information once they've gotten caught by a parent and and that but it evolves sometimes the kids are totally on board and they're scared of what happened and and you know tell their parents these are the accounts and whatnot so once everything is preserved then we start to look into what kind of offense do we have. What kind of age range, basically, do you see this coming up as far as when it, when a when a child is using a device to do this kind of communication? Sadly, it's now reaching ages in elementary school. Sadly, um, you know, primarily it's uh, middle school or high school. We have tons and tons of yeah 
cases with them, uh, but it is definitely reaching elementary school age. For some reason, people have felt or believe that, you know, given a eight or nine year old access to a device that can go anywhere in the world in their pocket seems to be the norm. And that's short-sighted. Well, that's just the world we live in. And yeah. when you first started, you didn't have the smartphones. You didn't have no. the flip yeah, phones. Yeah. Flip phones <laughs> or Mo, yeah, uh, Motorola's and you didn't have <clears throat> iPads and, and all these different various devices. So when say a parent calls you up and says, Hey, the mo- the mother because you know the well the dad will probably want to go over there and, yep. and kick down the door. That's of, the big you know. differences. Yeah, <laughs> so you you have a device when you come and collect them. Do you would you collect like the phone, an iPad, and then say a, a computer too? Because usually the, the kids have multiple ones. Yeah, you know, gone are the days. Uh, depending early on, like the, it used to be very common for us to take our mobile device and connect it to a computer, backing things up, or you know. But that's those days are gone. That doesn't even happen. Most people in today's environment, they don't even power a phone off, you know, ever, uh, let alone to get updates or do anything like that. But, yeah, if it warrants it, then certainly we'll get phones, we'll get iPads, we'll get computers. Um, you know, I work in a lab. I do computer forensics and cell phone forensics. Um, while it's not my most favorite thing to do anymore, um, I do have a guy that is there to help with that now. Um, and that's a big win for us, but that is paramount for us to move forward is to, to gather the evidence, preserve it to determine what do we have and then make efforts to identify the person. And, and I try to make sure that parents understand that that's a process. We issue preservations on accounts and then we issue legal process to get them identified. And that can take six or eight weeks to get the return back. And so, you know, it's not an immediate, Oh, you give me the phone today and I dump it and I'm going to be able to know who this guy is tomorrow. Certainly those chances exist, but more often than not, it's a process. And so they need to understand what that process is um, and be on board with it. The other factor that I always tell every parent is think about what you do with your old phones at home. At my house, we have a drawer in the kitchen, and it's full of phones, right? We upgrade a phone, we throw the old one in there, blah, blah, blah. And so after a period of time, there's – eight or nine, 10 different phones in there. I got, can't even close the drawer. Yeah, you, I got flip phones still yeah. in there, right? Well, guess what? Those phones still work, right? If they power up and they can connect to Wi-Fi, they work. So when, a, when we give advice to parents to say, hey, make sure that your child doesn't have access to any kind of electronics, and they always say, oh, no, 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 we're going to keep this or we're going to hide this or we're going to secure this. And I say, don't forget that drawer of old stuff because it all still works, right? Secure it. That's fascinating. So you you get a, a device, and then you have to dump it, and you start combing through it, yep. and it could be six to eight weeks or not longer. Um, what, what does it look like then as far as to further this investigation? So then identification of the suspect is priority, right? And then is it, it's got to be determined, is this a kid? Is this an adult? If it is an adult, which uh, the overwhelming majority of the time it is an adult, um, where are they? Are they local? Are they international? Are they hiding themselves to look like they're international when they're actually local? Uh, There's a lot of processes that that go in play to figure that out. And then once we determine where that person is, we will, you know, make some efforts to make a case, right? We're either going to, I've had cases where people are out of state and I've had them extradited back here with the the DA's permission um, and prosecuted 
no problem. I, I had one with a guy in Phoenix, you know, two 11-year-old girls. And it was an introduction. One 11-year-old girl met him, talked to him, was exploited by him, introduced her, introduced her best friend to the same guy. And so he victimized two 11-year-olds. And, uh, you know, he doesn't get a pass because he's in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. Guess what? We, we'll prosecute you here. And I present that case to the DA, and I explain to them, and this is where he is, but this is what he's doing. And so that's the beauty of the task force. That's the beauty of the ICAC task force, because I know I can pick up the phone and call the ICAC in Phoenix and say, hey, if this guy's not on your radar already, he's about to be. This is what I need. Now, have you noticed that with the evolution of the Internet and everything that goes on with that? Earlier, we talked about the the chat rooms were kind of a place where you could find people. Yeah. It seems like every app now has some sort of chat feature on it. Yep. Like, Every single app that exists yeah, so has the ability for chatting. Has that made it harder or easier to find people? It depends on the app. There's obviously limitations. If I'm online, you know, purporting to be a 12-year-old girl, you know, obviously anything with live streaming is a little difficult because as soon as they see this ugly mug of mine, they're going to know something's up, right? Uh, but there are definitely ways to work around things and, and places to go and and chatting options and alternatives. Um, the other really scary part that I don't think parents take into account is a lot of applications now. I mean, the chatting aspect and the live streaming is all got a creep factor to it. But what they don't take into account is the good portion of these apps that geolocate their kid. And so that geolocation can put a suspect in your neighborhood. Some of it's so accurate, it can put that suspect on your street. And so if you think about it in the context of like, oh, my kid's just using this app. What's the danger? They don't know the person in real life or whatever. Do you want that person in your neighborhood? Do you want that person on your street? The dad part of me does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah I'd, I'd love to find that guy. Yeah. yeah. So is there, um, do you all use any um, AI, any artificial intelligence for like your chats there is some component of that and that is evolving um i just heard i just uh had gone to do some training in utah and i had some conversations with the icat commander out there and they're in a uh they're revising some Mm -hmm. of the new standards uh to kind of address some of those issues because technology today is my gosh it is worlds different Mm -hmm. from where it was in you know oh six and um so, yeah, AI is going to play a huge role. And hopefully, you know, those standards uh, that they allow us to use and, and go by are going to are gonna be modified and changed to allow that. Because it's just a perception mm-hmm. thing from understanding the technology and using it to save kids. Because yeah. how can that be bad? Do you have to do a lot of updated training because of the technology uh, for sure. evolution? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. for sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm always taking a webinar here or there or trying to attend a class you know the crimes conference is amazing yeah you can you know uh, attend that and networking too oh, just absolutely. networking alone yeah, is, that's the best part oh that is absolutely hands down the best part <clears throat> is the networking but you know the training hours you can get the updated information the technology the contacts it's it's amazing so if you're if you're types of crime had categories that you investigate can you kind of tell the listener what types of crimes you're actually you know we're saying exploitation but that can mean a lot of things yeah so what can you kind of describe the types of crime that you investigate primarily um it's online solicitation of a minor 
And that's a felony in Texas. That can be a second degree or third degree, depending on the age of the person that's involved. Real quick, I want to jump. It, yeah. You said it's a felony in Texas. Is it not a felony in other states? It, it is a felony in okay. just about every other state. Okay. I was yeah. just it's that. just some of those, some states have weird setups. Class, yeah. yeah different classes and yeah. things like that. Okay. It, it is primarily a felony, as far as I know, everywhere else. I'm not aware of anywhere else where it's not. But there are other uh, states that have less not lesser included but uh lesser offenses based on the degree of what happens or you know so it's a little different but here in texas it's a felony second degree or third degree for online solicitation of a minor uh federally it's the same as enticement um and and then our other biggest hit is and that we deal with the most is probably possession or promotion of child pornography statutorily it's called child pornography i'm not a fan of the term child pornography we made some efforts to change legislation to change terminology because kind of globally we it's referred to as child sex abuse material which it really is Mm -hmm. um you know the term child pornography the word pornography just assumes consent and obviously we can't have a consensual situation with a child and anything in that arena and so i just think we need to update things um and you know we'll see if that gets done that's one of my goals before i retire good yeah that's Good. Well, you're the guy to lead that. that. So have you actually gone to D.C. for some of the legislation? I know they have the updates sometimes when they have the commander's meetings. I have not. I am uh, going to D.C. I think next month, Um, but it's not for that sort of situation. But we have done that on the state level here in Texas. We, myself and uh, my podcast partner uh, from another agency, we – we have been working on this for a long time and been back and forth at the last legislative session. Uh, we, with the help of a very good friend of ours, Sonia Ryan, uh, which is a whole nother story in itself that is amazingly interesting. Um, you know, she, she walks the walk and talks the talk. She's a, her survivor. Her daughter was the first child murdered in Australia's history after being groomed online and, um, kidnapped and, and murdered. Um, Anyway, she's a huge advocate. She's here in Texas now, and, and her, right off the bat, what can I do to help? And we're like, well, we'd like to make some changes. And so she talked a lot of, a lot of mess, and I'll be honest. She's like, okay, uh, I'm going to get us a meeting with the governor. And I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way that's happening, right? Then a couple of weeks later, hey, what are you doing on the 20th? I got us a two-hour meeting. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so, like, I didn't even tell my agency about it, you know, like, they a couple people peripherally knew that we had been trying to work on the legislative change, but we were making no traction anywhere. And then Sonia kicks the door down at the Capitol, and and we made very good progress at the last session. We made it through the House. Uh, we wanted to make tweaks to the child pornography law and the online solicitation law. There's a little bit of a hiccup in that in that law that needs to be adjusted. Um, anyway, so what is the holdup? I mean, what, I mean, you know, I you. You know things that I do not know about about the uh, the verbiage. What is the hiccup when it comes to with online? It? Yeah, with online. Oh, what the hiccup is? I don't know. We we made it through the house uh, and we passed, uh, you know, unanimously there, uh, but it stalled on the Senate floor along with you know I don't know eight or nine hundred other bills yeah. in Texas. And I don't think it had anything to do with the bills themselves, honestly. Other things were priority in their mind, and they just, yeah, yeah that's what happened. And it's okay. and it's just a machine. Like, if you've ever been a part of the legislative process, it's a, it's a machine I didn't know anything about. And, man, 
it's a whole different world down there of how that happens. It, it amazes me that bills get passed at all uh, with, with the way things go through committees and different things like that. But um, it's just some tweaks on existing laws, online solicitation of, uh, of a minor. There's a clause in there. Uh, essentially, a lot of people, and I do parent presentations, and a lot of parents don't know, like, I'll mention something called what we call a charm school case. And a charm school case is where an adult is offering up a child for sexual purposes, right? And so when you tell a, a person that, that's an adult, they give you this puzzled look like, what? What are you talking about? That sounds insane. And the reality is it's very true. Step parents or stepdad who offers up a stepkid, a grandfather offers up a grandkid. Um, sometimes a mother will offer up her own kids. And sometimes it's for financial gain. Sometimes it's for other reasons, but it exists. And so the, the, when I talk to people about that, when we apply the law to that online solicitation of a minor, the law currently states that the, the offending party, the suspect must communicate with the child, the child. And so we just wanted to say any person instead of the child, it's any person because currently if you work a charm school case proactively, if I go out there and say I'm a stepdad and I've got my stepdaughter available for whatever in some of these platforms where that's a very normal conversation and somebody takes me up on that offer, I have to do some creative charging because I can't, I would never let them talk to my actual child. Like, what are you talking about? Right. No, it's not how this works. So that's so. how you do, you pose as a, in some cases you pose as a, sometimes as a, as a child. And you're yep. chatting, and and then you kind of throw that bait out there, and or you are some of these cases that you do this that you actually have identified a target, specific target, and then you you go out and 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 then Certainly. you pose and then go out. Okay, sometimes, and uh, I, I'll the only thing I'll challenge you on is that term baiting. We don't bait anybody. Yeah, we yeah just, no, we just put ourselves yeah. out there, right? Um, by us simply being present in in platforms or applications or anything else just by necessity of being there doesn't um doesn't cross any threshold of entrapment of any oh, sort no. of way we just put ourselves out there and we just wait to be contacted sometimes we are made aware we get a call from another location another agency Arizona, another ICAC yeah. that says hey is this guy on your radar because if not you should take a look at him and so we may go and do something proactively, take a look at the profile or, or interact in some way with the profile, like something or favorite something or whatever, something minuscule, right, to see if that prompts some sort of communications response. or response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always that way. There are times, and, and the one thing that I think the public wouldn't understand, and I, I gave a presentation at Texas State yesterday to a bunch of, you know, CJ students, and I was trying to tell them, I was like, everything that I do in an undercover capacity is based on a real case, is based on a real child victim case. Or if it's in the instance of a parent that offered up a child, it's based off of that because we know that that happens. We know that kids are doing this. We know that parents, unfortunately, are putting kids in this kind of situation. So we base it all off reality. Um the just average public just doesn't know about it, you know? Yeah. It, so is, is it common to have one suspect with multi-state charges that like, let's say somebody calls you in Arizona and say, Hey, look at this guy. Yeah. And, and then you start up 
start up an investigation and you could find is that is that common it it's not uncommon okay um and there is some crossbreeding that goes around and, and certainly when we see an offender who has a job that takes them from state to state uh, truck drivers yeah um and i'm not knocking truck drivers right. don't don't take it as that I'm well just they, saying they, if they travel more people they, are traveling yeah. more you know people that do sales nationwide and things like that there's there's definitely a propensity for that um I can tell you a quick story if you want sure. of, a, of a case. Um, so as an example, um, there was a young girl in my city, a 12 year old, and that young lady was online and talking to what she believed to be a kid, 16 year old kid. And, you know, the communications were normal, you know, regular exchange of normal photos. And then there's some other photos that are sent that mm -hmm. were um, not appropriate by the suspect and then a desire for him to receive those kind of photos back. And so uh, she reciprocates. Initially says, no, I'm not going to do it. Then she reciprocates. And so once she does this, it just opens up a floodgate. Now I want more and more and more. And so more things are going back and forth. And none of it's good. None of it's legal. Uh, you know, it's None not, it, it's yeah. not, it's not legal for kids to do that. Um, and I get that, um, a lot, you know, this look, really, um, anyway, the long and short of it is things that she sends include pictures and videos in one of the videos. He sees a, an infant, she's babysitting an infant at the time. And so the conversation takes a wicked turn. I want you to do this. I want you to do this very descriptive things to this baby yeah. and this girl says no i'm not going to do any of that and and but eventually extortion happens right and we call it sextortion in this arena um well you'll do this or i will show this to your mom and here's her facebook page by the way and a screenshot of this and or i'll do this or i'll put you on blast that's what kids fear uh, exposure and so she does things that are just unthinkable they capitul capitulate and 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 takes pictures and videos of all of it, right? And then there's some other aspects of it that take place that I don't think your listeners want to hear about. I won't even discuss that part. And she gets to a point where she she's like, I'm not doing anything else. He's asking for more and more and more. The last line in the sand was, I want you to carve my name in your breasts. I want you to carve my name on your thigh or your stomach or your arm. And... She says, you do what you got to do. I'm not doing that. Was this over a certain length of time? One day. One day, all of this. One day. And so she literally walks to a corner store and calls 911 and reports, self-reports, and says, this is what just happened. I need help. And so out of fairness, that's not fairness, this girl had some frequent flyer miles with the police. She was previously a victim she did not have a good support system, so officers were aware of her. They got there. Long and short of it is she makes some statements that indicate she needs a medical evaluation, and so they take her to a location for that. And I get the case two days later. I just learn about it. I see it in the shift report. I'm like, what the heck? I read about it, and I get permission to dump the phone, and I dump the phone and identify a guy in the United Kingdom over in the U.K. And so – most agencies anywhere in the U.S., if it takes a international nexus, it probably ends right there when nobody goes forward. But I had the 
displeasure of seeing the communications and the tone and the content of what he's saying and the control, the power, the manipulation that he put on this 12 year old girl. And I know in my mind, I'm like, there's no way this is a 16 year old kid. I know this is not a 16 year old kid. And so I'm thinking, okay, I got legal process back that said he's over in the UK. And I'm like, is he just hiding? Is he hiding himself? Is he making it look like he's in the UK, but he's actually here? And I'm trying to ferret that out. And so I essentially start to research the company, the, the company that I identify as that he's using. And I'm thinking, okay, is this a VPN or whatever? And, and I'm looking online, and I'm really not able to determine that. And so I find about five or six email addresses for the company. And I'm not even kidding you. Like I told this story yesterday at Texas State. I literally, it's like, close my eyes and boink, I point on the map and I land on an email address. And so that's the email that I send. I send it to this guy and I'm thinking, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm trying to identify. Is this a VPN or is this residential customer? Is this a, a mobile customer? What is this? And within about 20 minutes, I get a phone call. I see the caller ID on my phone is about 20 digits long. I'm like, what is this? I pick up the phone. It's like, Tony, it's Nigel. And I'm like, Nigel, like, where, where are you from? And he's like, yeah. And he's hello, like, hello. I'm in the UK. And I'm like, no way. And he goes, I can help you. And I'm like, talk to me. And he goes, listen, I w just retired from NCA, which is the National Crime Agency, their version of the FBI over there. And he goes, and I worked child exploitation for like 15 years. And he goes, and now I work for this company, just something to do. And he goes, I can help you. And he goes, this is a residential customer. And so I know I'm going along around the bus on this, but we get him identified, right? NCA adopts a case on it. They, within four or five days, they've done surveillance. They get him pop, you know, positively identified and they kick his door. They arrest him and they find his devices, which I gave them the devices he was using. Um, I knew all of that through what I was doing on my end. And they found all of my victims material, all her videos, all her pictures, everything. There was like 46 total. And so they charge him with 16 counts of all kinds of craziness. They have all kinds of crazy laws over there. And the long and short of it is, it's a high five moment, right? Most agencies are like, man, that's awesome. Uh, you got an international guy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. It's fantastic. I was like, but the case ain't over. I was like, now we're just going to get into it. Now we got to do forensics and figure out who, if he's doing it to my kid in Texas, oh. what's he doing with anybody else? There's many more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was uh, about 10,000 victims Ooh, in this cool. guy's in this guy's world. And so those 10,000 victims realistically came down to a, about 7,500, 8,000 actual victims of who he's reaching out to. This guy was an admin on 161 different online accounts. Um, he happened to work on a cruise line for a number of years. And so anywhere that he went to port, there were victims. And so here in the U.S., it broke down to a bunch of victims, um, actual like case ability filing victims, was in the 400 range, um, three here in Texas, outside of my two victims. Um, it It's by far the biggest case I've ever worked in my life. And those that guy, just to answer to your original question, we've identified here in the U.S. 22 additional suspects. And so the I, network. Was, I oh. was puzzled of how that happened. I'm like, how is this happening? And what we believe 
still this is still an ongoing thing even though he's been sentenced he's in prison for my victims um, I believe that he was sharing uh, login credentials with other like-minded people um, and he had a target rich environment and and so it's crazy but to answer the question yeah there's there's definitely some shadiness that goes on amongst offenders with the different penalty grades in different states is it the state of the victim or is it the state of the offender? How does that work? It it can go kind of both ways, believe it or not. It just depends on who has the better uh, prosecutor's office willing to accept the case. Technically, most of the time it's where a victim is, and that's kind of primarily where we focus efforts. Um, however, because this that one particular case went international, um, you know, it – it had some reaching abilities. There was far-reaching abilities. Um, like I developed a suspect here who at the time was a prison guard in our state system. And uh, so. So, Sarge, in your episode, which, you know, the listener has not heard yet. So you talked about you can identify somebody in another country, mm -hmm. this is a, is a success story of, of how it all yeah. worked out and you took down a network. Is there a lot of times where you just, it never materializes and the case uh, does not progress like that one? Absolutely. Yeah. I was heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely. And so the, if you think of it from a, a victim impact situation and not that we aren't victim focused here because we are, uh, but the UK is, is victim focused on a completely higher level than us for example they would tell me they would send me leads i was the kind of the liaison for every of every u.s lead and then pushing it out to different icacs and they were hand they had a team of like 24 26 people on a task force dealing with nothing but all the other countries and so they would send me a list and say hey this little girl in this city in this state was listed as a friend on this bad guy's account, this particular account. Uh, can you send this to a detective, wherever that is, and ask them to go and reach out to that kid, put eyes on that kid, and say, hey, why were you listed as a friend? And I tried to explain to him, I'm like, listen, there's so much work in ICAC. I'm like, if I don't have something that's chargeable that I could give them, like, hey, there's content, there's communication, there's something that could be, case filing i'm like they're going to it's the lowest priority there is not that it's a bad priority it's just very low on the totem pole to say i need you to go reach out and ask a kid why she's a friend on this guy's list she may not even know that or or maybe she does or or doesn't but we don't have the resources or the manpower or the time to push that out and quite honestly they're it, it would be a low priority for me if somebody did that to me so i had to it's an evolution, and I had to explain to those guys internationally, like, I would love to do that. It's just not feasible. So if you give me something where there's contraband or content, absolutely, we're going to put eyes on that kid. Um, and the rest will get identified in time. Does that make sense? No, perfect sense. So you talked about one case as a, that it was a success story. Um, all of these cases probably hit you in different ways from an emotional standpoint, yeah. just a looking at humanity uh, in a different way standpoint. Can you talk about uh, a couple of cases that in your 18 years of, of doing this have really just kind of stuck with you? 
Yeah, there's there's one uh, I can tell you that happened sort of early on. Um, and the reason it sticks with me is because I was late to the game. I didn't learn about it, it fast enough, and I couldn't take action fast enough. And as a result, a, a child was victimized by an offender who came here from another state. Uh, there was all the communications, anything – uh, that took place, you know, this kid was groomed online by this person and and made it here, offended on the child before before I was aware of it. And obviously, once we're aware of it, we took every step and action we could and, you know, filed what we could uh, federally. And he went ultimately ended up going to prison. But I took it as a f- as a failure and I felt responsible for it because I thought, um, you know, the deal is, no nobody wants that on their plate. It's a survivor's guilt mentality. Yeah, yeah you yeah. you felt you could have done more. And yeah, and and so that that was one very early on. I mean, I I was glad that I got the guy, but I I like internalized the the victim aspect of it um, with that. Then I had another uh several years later that involved a a suspect who had already previously been convicted and was a registered sex offender and you know made the case filed the case put the guy in jail felt very good about things and then uh there turned out to be some sort of legal goof up you know in the indictment versus the charge versus this and in the grand scheme of things, it should have been a very simple, let's, um, let's just reindict. Let's just go back. Let's supersede and do this. Uh, but it was, it was like there was egg on the face for the mistake and it, and, and it wasn't technically, it wasn't my mistake. I guess maybe I should have caught what was going on. It was a combination of things between myself and the prosecutor. And as a result, uh, the guy walked, like just walked. They let him go, and he walked. And um, and I'm like, I was very, very frustrated. I was very unhappy. Like, why aren't we just going back and doing this? Like, let we know what happened. Let's fix it and go get the guy who deserves to be locked up for a long time. And and it just never happened. And. So I, in my office, I keep, I stole the idea from one of the feds. I was a TFO for HSI for a bunch of years and I uh, saw something in his cubicle one time and I was like, what is that? And he's like, it's my wall of shame. And he's like, every arrest I make, I take a little photo and I put it up, you know, just a reminder. And I was like, oh, I'm going to steal that idea. That's cool. So literally one wall in my office has a huge, you know, poster like deal of offenders and uh, he's the only one on my list and I put their time on their forehead like if they got fed time or state time or whatever probation whatever it may be and on his it says freedom on his forehead and it to this day it chaps me you know content alone that's a whole nother topic of what I can tolerate at this point um, I don't think the public or the average person understands, I don't think the average officer understands the gravity of what content we see. And I'll tell you, there are things that, um, that literally haunt me. Like there are videos that I have seen that 
absolutely haunt me. The one thing, if there's anybody listening that's in law enforcement that has a desire to get into this arena, I strongly encourage it because it's very satisfying and rewarding to put someone in a in a, a way that will never have the opportunity to hurt another kid. Absolutely. I would just recommend the volume. Turn the volume down. Don't listen. Because the video in itself is horrific. But when you hear what's going along with the video, it will make your stomach turn. It'll make you throw up. Oh, yeah. Absolutely will. Just a little over a week ago, we uh, recorded Sergeant Criddle's episode, and she talked about a case where she accidentally – she made the mistake of having the volume up yeah. and heard. And that, that is still haunts her. Yeah. It's, it is the things that we will never unsee. unsee. You know? Absolutely. It sears in your brain. Mm-hmm. It literally does. It mm-hmm. sears in your brain. Um, I love Dr. T's line saying the, the first responder uh, profession is, is, is like a bad human experiment. You set somebody down to show them bad image, bad image, bad experience over 20 plus years for a career and you expect them to go out and be normal in yeah. the wild. Right. Yeah. Well then you take this new layer of, of this type of offense and these type of images. I mean, how do you, I mean, really know she, you know, Sergeant Criddle talked about what she saw dealing with an infant. Yeah. And That's I, I just, mine was too. yeah. And, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if it's the same thing. Probably. Like, it's very common the the imagery and videos that go around and are passed around mm-hmm. and commonly shared. Yeah. Like, it was a viral yeah. viral video. And you get to the point where you recognize it. As soon as it mm-hmm. pops up, you're like, "Oh, I don't need Absolutely. to look at it. I've already seen it." And and that's a sad state of affairs. That's a sad state of affairs. Um, but yeah, it's it's horrific. It's well, you've you found ways to to ground yourself and also just compartmentalize everything. You know, you probably have a lot of lock boxes in your mind from all these years. Yeah. Of, of of images when you first started out to where you are now did you have to develop skills and and to where you saw i mean you when you first saw your first victim yeah and then you see something new and everything's always it seems like it, people are trying to one-up each other in right. in grotesqueness and just evil yeah. right yeah for sure how did, did you have to just continually keep evolving and 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 getting new tools in your mental toolbox to process this yeah it's a it brings up a good question because it 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 has definitely evolved over time in the beginning i I would have never vocalized it to really anybody unless it was another icac person who could kind of relate Um, i did uh sadly for my wife and my adult kids i did share with them not the graphic details of things obviously but you know i share with them the what I'm experiencing, um, it came to fruition one day. My wife, she works at the police department as well. She's not an officer, but she works at the police department, and and she's a saint, right? But when my youngest was uh, little, she stayed home. She left the PD and stayed home to raise our our son, and I fully supported all that. But uh, to you know, kind of make ends meet, she babysat with other kids and stuff. And so I remember coming home from work one day, and I had had a really really crap all a day right some stuff i saw was just horrible and so my avenue to get it out was just to talk about it you know hey this is kind of what i saw this is what i'm kind of thinking about well the one of the fathers happened to be a youth pastor at our church was there to pick his kids up 
and he just happened to be there picking his boys up. And he's like, hey, man, good to see you. We're just chit-chatting and stuff. And, and my wife just said, hey, how's your day? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, blah. I just vomit everything out. And this guy comes over to me, and he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he's like, can I pray for you right now? And I was like, yeah. So he does. And I realized at that moment, I'm like, holy moly. Like I, And I had to call him and apologize. Like, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to you know, vomit all that on you like that. And, and he's like, I had no idea that that stuff even exists. He's like, I peripherally knew what you were doing. And he said, but man, he goes, you're, you're on my prayer list now every day. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, what you deal with, it's not. So a lot of people, I believe they think that what's, well, it's just sexual assault. It's just, it's mm-hmm. human traffic and their pr- pr- prostitution. It's it's not just that it's torture yeah. it's uh, defilement I mean it, it's yeah. it's all the above that you have to witness yeah right yep for and, sure and that and that's just I can't imagine um, you know the sexual assault is one thing right. and the physical abuse is one thing but then when you you factor in the very strange and exotic type of evil mm-hmm. it, you know it. As a human, it's hard to wrap your yeah. mind around it. Well, it lends itself because in today's environment, um, I just go and talk to somebody. Okay. You know, there's professionals. Yeah. And, you know, the whole room we're sitting in right now is evidence of, of where police departments are shifting the paradigm to our mental health. Not just me or you, but to everybody as a whole, uh, as a department. It's amazing to me that... Now we can just go and talk about things and say things openly with no fear of a stigma or ridicule ridicule or being made fun of or anything like that, which, you know, you've been around a long time, too. I came into this job in 93, and you would never say some of the things back then. You would have been run out of your own agency, Uh, whereas in today's environment, you can be like, holy smokes, I need to decompress a little bit. I I think I need to go and talk to someone. It doesn't have to be someone in your department. It can be someone outside the department. There's so many resources available. Uh, it's amazing that you can do that. And it's so helpful. Like I'm telling you, it's so helpful. I I was not a believer in it in the beginning. <laughs> I'll be honest. I had to be uh, kind of, you know, pushed in that direction. And my, my belief on things has changed 100%, a 180 from where I was to where I'm at now. What got you to change, do you think? I was... So I was a negotiator for our SWAT team for a number of years, and um, we were mandatory <laughs> to attend some <laughs> some meetings and some trainings. And I was mandatory to go to a training in Mesquite one time with a guy who was doing a one-day deal. And it was billed to us as the negotiators. There was like eight of us at the time. Um, hey, this is guy was a negotiator for a long time and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're, we're going into this thinking, hey, this is a negotiator thing. So our team leader is like, all right, everybody get all your, you know, get your ninja suits on and we're all going as a team. We're all going to look alike and blah, blah. We're thinking it's negotiator stuff. I'm like, okay. Well, we show up and I start seeing guys that I know from other agencies going in. It was at uh, the college there in Mesquite. And I see them with like their wives and there's, you know, I'm like, what's going on? Like, what do you get? Why are y'all dressed like that? Everybody's like, what do you guys, what are you it's nerds? You intervention. Know? Garland you. nerds, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, what's going on? Well, the speaker was Kevin Gilmartin, Dr. Gilmartin. Oh, fantastic. And I'd never heard of the guy. And this guy spoke 
And I'm like, I just had this epiphany. I'm like, what? Like, where were you when I was a rookie? Like, why aren't they broadcasting your speech, your topic, your class to every rookie everywhere? And I literally, I, I at the time was the president of our police association. I went up to him afterwards and I, I bought his book, which was a little, I forget the some tactical mind, something mindset. I can't remember. The it's survival. Uh, Sur- yeah. Uh, law enforcement, emotional survival yep. for yeah, law enforcement. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I butchered that. No, you're uh, Dr. Good. Sorry. Martin. Sorry, Dr. Good. Yeah. We'll take that out. <laughs> but yeah. I, it took all of us to get that. I bought the book <laughs> and I went to him and I'm like, how do I get you to come to my agency? How much does my association have to pay to get you to come to my agency and speak to everybody? I was like, cause it would, it's well worth the money. And, uh, Unfortunately, we couldn't afford it. <laughs> yeah. But I'm telling you, cheap. that was the epiphany for me. And I'm like, wow, something billed to me as one thing. It was not that thing at all. He talked. He said, hey, I, in his intro, yeah, I was a negotiator for a long time. That was it. <laughs> that was the only part of negotiations that thing was about. And so from that point forward, I thought, huh, maybe there's something to this. And then I, because we were negotiators, we were automatically put into a role in our CISM team. And and when I first sat through a debrief and I went into it with the mindset of like, all right, I'm going to be like Dr. Gilmartin. I'm going to go into this with Gilmartin sense. Um, but I still had my Tony sense of like, man, this is bunk, right? And everybody came in and it was a major incident that happened for us. And when I sat down and that we had young bucks, dispatchers, forensics, patrol guys, all the way up to super old heads like me. And the first person to speak out was an old head. And he just said his piece. And then it created this environment of safety and understanding. And it just transcended in a way for me where I was like, whoa, whoa times are changing yeah and i was thinking back to like dang i wish we'd have had this when i went on that one call that i still think about from 25 years ago or whatever and so really that's what did it that's what did it for me that dr gil martin we might have been at the same maybe seminar when he came here because i remember uh him it was somewhere here in dallas i don't even know how he got signed up for that maybe i just wanted a break from the streets for right. uh, you know a day, yeah, yeah. a day or two so great, Tom Popkin and I, uh, he, we go and both of us are sitting by each other and we're both just, he talks about uh, even going back to that Rampart case, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, uh, in LA and yep. and it was so fascinating because we had never heard anything like that. And yeah. I remember it wasn't just for the officer and it was for the officer's family. Right. There uh, were so many spouses in yeah, that meeting absolutely. and I was like, yeah. I well, wish I'd have brought mine. Well, because they're, <laughs> the, they're the collateral damage when it comes yeah. to... Oh, absolutely. To the breakdown of our minds. I went to a wellness retreat in Utah. I was uh, kind of handpicked to go to this deal. And it was amazing. F- uh, simply from where I got to stay in a in an amazing property that used to be owned by Mrs. Fields way back in the day in the 80s, the cookie lady. She oh, yeah. had this amazing, like, $45 million property. Like, it was amazing. It was like the Willy Wonka chocolate factory. It was that. unbelievable, it was a, man. It was like unbelievable. Yeah. It, it wasn't her house anymore. A it's house been, made of cookies. It's been sold, right. but it was okay. billed as soon as I got there. Oh, Mrs. Fields built this house. And I'm like, what? Like, wow. the cookie business pays apparently very well. Uh, anyway, the location was amazing, but the the – content of what was there it was like a pick your brain sort of a thing and so there was a uh, a license i don't 
I would butcher whatever her little three-letter designation is. You've already uh, offended Dr. Gilmartin. Yeah. It's okay. It's, it, no, <laughs> whatever. Uh, LPC, she was, yeah. wasn't that. You she was, she yeah. was higher than that. Yeah. Like She was a couple levels above that, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And, and she said something in her little presentation that has stuck with me since. She's like, look, law enforcement in general is seeing things the average human being will never see or experience ever. And so – she talked about a decompression time, and she said, usually for most cops, it's on the drive home. Hey, I'm driving home. I need to kind of get my mind right. I'm going to see my kids, my family, this, that, that. They're going to want this attention, and we're going to go down here and be like, want to sit on the couch and drink a cold one and watch TV. And she said, cops are like snow globes. She's like, you know the snow globe you get, and you shake it up and all the snow? She's like, you need time as a cop to let the snow settle. She's like, it's like you're on the way home. You've just left this hot call. Something's happened. All of these things are going down. Your snow globe has been shaken so hard. It's just nothing. You can't even see through it. And she said, so use that time to get back until your snow globe is leveled and there's no snow in the air. She goes, then you can interact. Like you're, you, That expectation needs to be translated to your family. Hey, look, my snow globe's a little jacked right now. I got a little snow in the air. Like, give me 10 minutes. Let me calm things down. And I took so much away from that. I'm like, wow. It was like this little goofy little thing. But it has stuck with me. And I told her, I was like, same thing. I was like, hi, do you ever come to Texas? <laughs> like, it was amazing, you know, amazing. So, Well, being part of the ATO and, and, and also this wellness unit, I've been able to network with so many different people like that that have mm-hmm. a, they have all these this arsenal of tools yeah. for first responders and what we deal with and also not just for us but for our family and get education you can never educate enough on this oh. topic and hell no ken, ken has changed so much as far as his outlook i mean now he calls himself like the crossfit vegan you know that he will tell anybody about counseling and how it's it's yeah it's crucial to us and ours our department's the same way todd jerry's amazing yeah guy. Todd's great guy it's in his it's if anybody's in the right wheelhouse he's in the right wheelhouse it's just he just thinks in in that way and thank god for him because he's a huge asset and resource for us as a oh we we talk all the time yeah yeah we were texting just last week about uh about something yeah awesome. so we've had conversations joe and i about mandating therapy for people you know just yeah. going and talking to somebody and that word mandate like to make it a mandatory thing kind of turns people off but mm-hmm. i think that if you create that right. culture to where you've already done it like you didn't have to i mean you had to do it yeah so it wasn't something you chose but that way you establish like a baseline of where you should be and talking to somebody and, yeah. and establishing a relationship that way when you get further into your career or later on down the road right you know somebody. Do you think that benefited you being forced into it? Do you think you would have ever done it on your own? I would have never done it on my own. Absolutely not. I, I know in my mind I would have just never done it because I came from an era where we just didn't do it. But to piggyback off of Gil Martin's ideas and thought process about that, he's like, he gave an example in this deal about if your chief came out today and said, you know what? He goes, everybody knows what the checkerboard hat looks like for Chicago PD. Like their dress uniform has that weird checkerboard. He's like, it's the ugliest hat on the planet. If you're from Chicago PD, I apologize. 
I agree with him. It is it is hideous looking, right? And he's like, if your chief came out today and said, guess what? I love that hat. We're all going to wear it. Effective tomorrow, you have to wear that hat everywhere you go. If you're in that squad car, you better have that hat on. Would you get out of that squad car? That hat better be on. If it's rain, shine, sleet, wear the hat. What kind of reverberation would that have in your department? People would be like, what? Screw the hat. You tell me what to do. Yeah, yeah, you can't tell. Blah, blah, blah. However, in two years, it would just be, why do we wear this dumb hat? I don't know. We've just always done it. And so the theory is the same with this, with CISM, with these, whether you're mandatory to 10. When we first started ours, you did not have to go. If we held a debrief or something was going to happen, you didn't have to go. Now you have to go, but you don't have to participate. And that's the caveat is like, you got to go and you don't have to speak. No one's going to call you out. Nobody's going to go tell the chief or the whoever's in charge. That doesn't happen. The, um, the secrecy of it is very much intact. Uh, nobody knows what happens unless you're in that room. If you choose to participate, great. And so on some level, yes, I'm glad I was forced to told to go do things a lot of things like i they forced us to go and work at the suicide crisis hotline and i did that for three or four years like literally i would do two shifts a month and you just it was just what we had to do i'm thankful today i had to go do that for a number of reasons but yeah i think in that space you know now we have a mentor program now when you become a cop in my city you literally are assigned a mentor. It's not your FTO. It's just a guy or a gal who can say, hey, you're going to hit this wall. You're going to do this. You're going to experience this. Don't do this. Because, and we, it's just a new concept. And so now it's so ingrained. It's just what happens. And that's the same, I think, that where this is going to go in five years. We had that here previously. We, the Big Brother program. Yeah. And it kind of fell to the wayside. And I've pitched it. Hey, like, it should be every step of the road like you should yep. have somebody a rank above you or two ranks above you yep that you can go and talk to about any issues that you have i mean departmentally was where it would start right yep but your personal life would carry into that all the all right. the trauma you have from here just natural conversations would start to open up so my outlook is if we made it mandatory and only 10% of the people enjoyed it that's still better than what we're doing absolutely yeah you have to start somewhere it'd be no different than when i remember when i came on we had a guy who carried a wheel gun. <laughs> he still carried yeah. a wheel gun. And the thought of him having to move from a wheel gun to a Glock was, was messed, his, yeah. messed his OODA loop up so bad. He's like, I got to give up my speed loaders and, you know, this kind of stuff. And I'm like, bro, like you're, you got so much more advantage if you have this other gun. And But you'd have thought you were asking him to wear the hat, yeah. right? Like He's like, that was foreign concept. But now – Nobody would even consider carrying a wheel gun. Well, like you go in the military, you, you go, yeah, you're not going to carry that musket from the <laughs> Civil War era. You're going to carry an M16. Yeah. You're, <laughs> so, yeah, I like what you said about f- people don't know any better. It's mm-hmm. like when I remember, I'm old enough to remember whenever we went to uh, AVLs on the squad car. Shit, we thought we were just going to, mm-hmm. it, it was it. We're, it's yeah. over. Yeah. We're, we're going to get indicted for something. Right. Well, it, it's okay. Yeah. And now, you know, Jessica, you, we didn't have body cams. We weren't always on no, camera. We if we yeah. were, it was some big-ass VHS on somebody's yeah. shoulder, like a boombox, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. And, you know, and those tapes may or may, may not disappear. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> right. but now, 
you're always assumed always. you're being recorded, mm-hmm. and it's okay. Mm-hmm. It actually has helped folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it, but I, th- I, I like what you said about you make it mandatory, and then after a while, yeah, you're going to, people are going to, it's like escorting a drunk out of a bar. He's going right. to kind of kick and fight on the way out, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. And after a while, you're not going to know any better after a certain amount of time. Yeah. The officer's going to come to work, and it's just the way it is. It's attrition. You're going to, the old heads are going to go out, and it's very weird for me to think of myself in that category, but that's right where I'm at. I'm the guy now that young bucks i tell people all the time when i talk i was like you know in my city and we're not humongous but we got a bunch of cops you got we're a, a good size city um i'm fa- i used to say i'm fairly certain i could get a ticket in my city before they figured out i worked there and i'm almost convinced now i could be in handcuffs in the back of a car before someone realized oh wait this guy actually works here like what's yeah. going on There's- i will say though you're you're very well known and very loud. i'm not saying that just because you're sitting on here on the show but he, he, uh, dan like dan um he's a canine a big jack he's oh, he, yeah, Lam- he, yeah yeah Lamboris. yeah, yeah Lamboris. yeah he good loves dude. you he loves you to death and he just talks to you yeah, you're, yeah. Dude. yeah he is good he's one of our he's one of our purse bingo models he comes out there shirtless for the models of purse <laughs> oh. sorry Jeannie, come see that this year and it yeah oh, i have he, no doubt you got a yeah. bunch of donations that night yeah yeah too bad he, he too bad he had a girlfriend because he get a, right he, he should have walked pretty, away with 10 sure. he's a pretty man but, um, yeah, we work out the same gym and we talk all the time, but I told him I was going to have you on today yeah. and he's like, Oh God, he's, he's the best. I was like, yeah, oh, he's man. a, he's such a good dude. Oh, I appreciate that there. You know, people talk all the time about what, you know, what do you, your legacy or whatever. And, and I'm not about, I'm not about the accolades. I, I'm really not. I, I just have a passion for this job. I have a passion for what I'm doing and, and I feel fortunate. I feel blessed to be with an agency that supports me like that and gives me the opportunity to do this and, and really do it at whatever pace I want to do it. They're to the point now where they're like, just stay, don't leave. Like we don't want you to go. And while I, I get that part of it, I don't want it to go away. And so that's where I'm at at this point. Like, you know, you asked me how much longer you can do. I'm going to go until I can get somebody trained to do my job Mm -hmm. to the, they're not going to be me and they don't have to be me. I, I didn't become Bruce. I did a lot of things Bruce did because he was my mentor, but I want to be that mentor. I just want the job to continue. I don't want it to go away. Right. Well, there is, you're not going to be Detective Godwin forever. You're going to be Tony right. after this is gone. You take out, when you walk out those doors, you're Tony. Yeah. And then you. I'm quite sure you're going to have a nice, whatever you want to do after yeah. Garland PD, you can go do with your experience and your you know, you just, yeah. your knowledge. Speaking of the knowledge, um, I'm going to get in the pro- prosecutorial side of these type cases, but I want to, is there any kind of uh, common profiles you've seen in the suspects as far as, <laughs> is, is you know, just, and I, know, and I know it's very, it varies, but yeah. is there some common characteristics you've seen in these folks? You know, the, the joke is, and I, I say this, um, knowing that a a bunch of people that are going to hear this have never seen me, but I fit the exact profile for an offender, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, I wear glasses. I have a mustache, goatee, whatever. So in in our arena, we call it molest glasses and molest stash. And, um, and jokingly, because, you know, there is a lot of humor in, in this business. You have to give, if you're not laughing, you're crying. It's it's the compartment compartmentalizing of how we do things and and so there are things if if we're going into a house and we see there are four adult males 
living in the home. Maybe it's a dad and a couple sons or roommates, cousins, uncles, whatever it may be. We tend to print off some photos of those individuals and we, we pull the, the groups around us. We, all right, do we pick the perv? Who's, which one do we think? Who's got money on this one, this one? And there tends to be a general look, uh, which is a, a heavy set white male with glasses, probably thicker than they need to be and some sort of 1980s mustache. Um, however, that's just the joking side of it because I've seen it run the gamut. I've, I have dealt with individuals who are uh, muscled up and, you know, the most fit person on the planet. I've dealt with the aging grandfather. I've dealt with someone who's in a position of authority like a teacher or unfortunately a cop um there are bad apples in every 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 aspect doctors lawyers and i think that's one of the stigmas as parents we we do a disservice to our kids we describe the freddy krueger don't go near that guy he looks creepy don't go near that guy but we don't take even we don't even bat an eye if the guy walks by and he's wearing a sport coat and nice slacks and a pair of dress shoes but he's just as dangerous as the freddy krueger looking guy so we need to bear in mind the things that happen to kids the physical things that happen to kids the familial stuff it, it's far more common than people believe yes. the person that offends against a child there's a probably 84, 85% chance they know the person. Mm -hmm. And there's also an 84 to 85% chance they love that person. Yeah. They just want the abuse to stop. They don't want them to go to jail or get in trouble. They just want it to stop. And so when we think of it from that context, same thing with sex offenders, people who are already convicted of these crimes and they move into a neighborhood. People do their own due diligence. They do research. Oh, I'm thinking about buying a house in this neighborhood. Oh, let me just check the registration, see how many offenders are there. And they, they put a lot of weight on that, and maybe that's okay. You want to know that. But what about the guy who's next door who's never been caught, but he still does it? Like, we don't, we don't put that into context, mm -hmm. um, and I think we should. I think a lot of people do the Google – I mean, look to see just for – it gives them somewhat peace of mind. Yeah. You know, I, th I mean, I could see that. But, yeah, it's uh, – from a physical standpoint, you give a lot of characteristics. So are there any kind of, and I know you're not a psychologist, but is there a lot of commonalities with the the psyche of, of, of these type of folks? I, I know I'm going to get some flack for this because I've, I've listened to a few of y'all's episodes. Don't worry. It, nobody listens anyway, <laughs> Tony. Don't worry. I'm going to get, no, I mean from in this room here in a second because I'm going to say oh boy. There, are some, there are some characteristics that seem to cross a lot of boundaries and so when we encounter a subject who has a propensity for kid related things like sexual offenses or imagery in videos there is i don't know why there's a correlation but there is some correlation between that person and a connection with like star wars mm -hmm. i knew the look was coming <laughs> or star trek swords dungeons and dragons mm -hmm. the anime anime the my Little Pony, yeah, the bronies, yeah. a brony, or if you're the a brony or not a brony, or and I know the Star Trek thing is a sensitive topic here. I have, uh, I'm not Trekkie, I, or, or Star you know, Wars, Star I'm Wars, sorry. Yeah. Star Wars, yeah. and I, so I know that's a sensitive topic, and and I'm not alluding to anything, joking. Uh -huh. uh, I'm just saying there does seem to be some correlation, and I don't know why. I have to that agree. Is, that is Thank really you. weird. Thank you for validating. I, I, wow, I, I, do I have to agree? Huh. Well, I'm going to go pack up a bunch of shit and, and haul it out. Of, no, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> yeah, anybody that listens knows that's funny. God, wow, yeah, that's, that's I, interesting. I, I don't know why that is, honestly. Like, I, I have a collection of photos from warrants holding swords. Mm-hmm. Swords is a, I don't know it's what the connection thing. is, yeah. but there is a huge connection. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I have probably 25 different photos mm-hmm. with various sized swords that are hanging on a wall well, or, or in a offender's bedroom and stuff size like does matter with swords though <laughs> you know size does matter. Yeah. it does yeah. they are they are phallic yes look at excalibur <laughs> come on i don't have okay for the i have no swords okay. or of any kind i do have a captain america shield hanging on the wall just outside the room but yeah no 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 uh no offense against all you trekkies and star do wars you have people. a lightsaber then <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh no! I, I, it's in storage. Sorry. It, 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 okay. Sure. I don't wield sure. it. Uh-huh. It's, it's a collectible. It's a collectible. It's okay. We'll have an intervention later. <laughs> okay. Hi, my name is Chris Hansen. Yeah. yeah. Hey, speaking well, of okay, speaking of that show. So that show, Chris Hansen, the 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 Predator. How is that kind of the first time that this type of investigation and and, the, and these type of suspects that was kind of. Sh- Put in the spotlight in in in, uh, yeah. in the world. Yeah, I think so. I mean, at that time, it was cutting edge. Yeah, you know, yeah. outside looking in, you just assume that it's uh, all legit and valid and and purposeful and and accomplishing the same goals we're accomplishing now. But it's it was not that at all. Yeah. It was it was done very haphazardly. It was not done by any standards or rules, yeah. and, and which is why it ultimately came to a, a close um there are still some some things and chris hansen is still a part of that sort of arena but in a whole another sort of platform it was an entertainment value i mean you're watching yeah. it and then just seeing the guys getting tackled out in the yard by the yeah. swat team yeah, or right. there that, but there has been some horror stories from that i think somebody had went outside and and committed suicide i mean there's well, been some yeah, the, yeah. the thing that busted it wide open happened right here in texas and in, in a city just north of mine um where they offered up a location at this particular city and held one of those you know 24-hour kind of deals and a bunch of people showed up well one of the people that showed up was uh oh, that's not good uh one of the people that showed up uh was a district attorney for a very well-known yes. county mm-hmm. and of course he didn't go to jail that day but he he was going to be picked up later and when they went to go get him he committed suicide and as a result that that put the focus in a completely different light and they really examined what was going on and and everybody that a case was filed on didn't get filed on and so that's what really became a pivotal moment there's always been comparisons oh you're the catch a predator guy and like well not really kind of yes uh but you know we follow rules <laughs> we do things yeah correctly. you do things from a legality and, uh, yeah. but you know joe blow citizen has no idea about that they just see the outside looking in and that brings up a point that probably needs to be discussed there are certain groups today in today's environment called vigilante groups yeah. and they have online platforms like youtube and other instagrams and places where they are acting as if they are us and they are setting up people to show up mm-hmm. and they're doing everything themselves internally. And I would, I would say this one, we don't accept those cases. And when we don't, there's reasons we don't accept those cases. And 
the downside is the general public doesn't quite get it because when they see that YouTube video of that predator showing up at a park or a Walmart and then being confronted by these guys or gals that are doing this for the clicks, for the likes, for the monetization of it, um, and not because it's going to not be prosecuted, it's the shame factor. It's going to create a problem in two ways. One, it's going to create where someone's going to get killed, somebody's going to show up to one of those meetings and get a figure sword out. And get then, a sword yeah, yeah, they're going to pull their sword <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. And next thing you know, they're going to be shish kebab. And Another say, guy's going to have a bigger sword. Yeah, and some go YouTube guy. Yeah. He's going to come in with his lightsaber thinking yeah. he can save the world and not so and much. Captain America shield. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, secondarily, when that guy does not get arrested, and I say guy, it's not exclusive to guys, it's primarily guys. Uh, but when that guy doesn't catch a case and he goes home, is he going to change his ways? And the short-term answer is sure for a little while, but then he's going to go right back in. He's going to do the next thing. Be more and, careful, maybe. And what he's going to do now before he meets is he's going to he's going to victimize a kid, a real kid, meaning he's going to say, "I'm not coming unless you send me this, a nude this, or a video of this." And if you don't, well, I'm just not coming. So in essence, those vigilantes are harming real kids. They just don't they don't get it. They don't understand. So when it comes to prosecute, prosecuting these cases, how difficult is it? Um, it's not super simple. Uh, they don't go to trial a lot, I'll tell you that. Well, yeah. Uh, because not many of these folks want their business cut up in front of a jury or, or judge or whatever. I will tell you there are vast differences between state cases being filed and federal mm-hmm. cases. Um you know, I, I'm not poking the bear at anybody, but I'll tell you, I got extremely frustrated with the types of sentences um, that these suspects were getting after all of the work that was put into to getting them right uh, locked up. And at at that point, after a certain period of time where offenders were getting nothing but probation, I reached a level of like, I'm this is not right. This you know. This person deserves time. I'm not saying they all got to go to jail for life. There's case by case. But um, that's what prompted me to start working more closely with my federal partners. And so once I started doing that, and, you know, that's not the end all be all either. But the, at least the times they are getting for prosecution are pretty severe pretty severe as they should be but yeah that but you think the more education of, of this and, and the more frequency of seeing these types of cases uh for even prosecutors uh that want to put the bad guy away and and the ripple effect of the victimization uh is is that maybe that's that's helped and it, it doesn't hurt time? yeah yeah it okay. definitely doesn't hurt like when i first started there were specific da's that handled these offenses nobody else and so then it's run through the evolution now it's a pool of people and then it was a just willy-nilly whoever would get one and so there is an education side of it that if a prosecutor is only handling dwis or low-level things and all of a sudden gets tossed to this case or is brand new and gets tossed to a case of this magnitude there's an education side of it they just don't get that's yeah um, you can do that and and one of the other things that if we're talking specifically about Let's say a possession of child pornography case, right? Those are far and few between the majority of agencies. That's their bread and butter between those and cyber tips. Um, you file those cases. The 
one of my frustrations with it, and it's always open for dialogue, and I try to communicate with the prosecutors all I can, is there's a there seems to be an unfairness level in the sense that I have to see it when I encounter it. I have to see it as I forensically go through it. I have to see it as I prepare it for prosecution. I have to see it as it goes through an indictment process. And then it gets presented to the DA's office, and they don't want to see it. They don't want to look at it. And the judges dang sure don't want to look at it. And so from that point forward, unless forced, it doesn't necessarily get viewed. And I understand the fact that, hey, you don't want to look at that and burn your brain like mine is burnt. However, there is value. There is value to it because it there's a difference in some of this material that goes back and forth. That I think the average public and I do public speaking a lot, and I, you know, the average parent. If I talk about that, they're thinking, "Oh, what? It's like a 15 or 16 year old kid." No, I'm talking prepubescent. I'm talking diapers. I'm talking toddlers and diapers. Like, there's a difference, right? And so, when you have an offender whose propensity is geared towards toddlers or diaper porn, versus a guy that's looking at a 15 or 16 year old or what we would call age difficult. We don't go for the. We don't prosecute those. We don't. I don't. I don't file cases on those guys, um, unless I absolutely can prove that they believe that that is someone younger than what it appears to be. We don't mess around in that arena. We're talking prepubescent stuff, and I just don't think. I think there needs from the. And I'm not. I know it's going to come across like I'm bagging on the DA's office. I'm not. I just wish they grasp that i know i understand the the mental health side of it i don't want to see that and a judge doesn't want to see it but there's an importance in seeing it um i think it would have a better outcome on the prosecution side no i agree i mean it in most of what you deal with you talked about that about the teenage versus the the infants there's a lot of that in there in like what what what, uh jessica was talking about in her episode it was dealing with an infant yeah. That was being basically tortured. Yep. And people need to know that is going on right now as we're sitting here somewhere in this in this county. Absolutely. In this yeah. state, in this world. And, and mm-hmm. it, uh, yeah. So when it comes to education for the parents, are there some things that parents can look out for as far as sites Absolutely. and apps? And, and that, that, you know, and I know that people are always going to find a way, but can you talk about some of these precautionary? Uh, sure. Uh, I'll start by saying we're never going to arrest our way out of this problem ever. It's not going to happen. And so the way to change the paradigm of of this is education, education and awareness. And that's really key. That's really vital, in my opinion, uh, to change how this works. We need to same way with mental health in the in this setting. We need to change the paradigm so that you know five years from now it's just what we do oh this happened this what it's an automatic we just that's we do because we do and so the the best advice i can give parents and i give it often is if something happens in your home if something happens in your household don't freak out don't panic it's not the end of the world right it may seem like it's the end of the world it may seem like the most devastating thing or experience you're ever going through but don't freak out Mm -hmm. your kid expects you to freak out that's why your kid's not going to come and tell you because they think they're going to lose this coveted device and it's going to feel like their arm was amputated, right? Because that's what it would be like if you pull a phone from a kid today in today's environment or climate. Um, so the key is don't freak out. 
I told you earlier, there's differences of what happens. Moms react differently than dads. If a dad intercepts something, dads often have the um, sense to call the person and say, hey, I have my flamethrower and sickle and I'm on my way to your house to cut your head off and burn your home to the ground, sir. I'm on my way. Stand by. Uh, Or just show up or get on there and start talking to the offender to say, I'm calling the cops, you loser, you pervert, you this, you that. You, a lot of cuss words go in there usually. Um, and that's the wrong thing to do. That is absolutely the wrong thing to do. Do not put yourself in a position that's going to ultimately come back and bite you and mm-hmm. potentially catch a case for you. You right. don't want that. Or ruin your case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moms have a tendency to do a couple things. One, if it's communications oriented, um, they have a tendency to begin continue talking as though it's they are their child. And that is absolutely the wrong thing to do. Do not engage with a suspect. Mm-hmm. Do not think you're helping the police by doing that because you're not. You're, you're actually putting a big wedge in the case. Yeah. You're getting an automatic defense mm-hmm. for that person who can then say, oh, I knew this was fantasy. I knew this was role play. I knew it was the mom the whole time. Even though we know that's not the case, it builds that up automatically. Get so, a reasonable doubt. So right. do not do that, right? Do not, if imagery is involved, say, for example, uh, a young female has been coerced to send imagery or videos to some person, and that person has sent imagery back. I've seen moms in the past that want to get that imagery off of their child's phone, so they forward it to their own phone so they can delete it from the child's phone. Do not do that because, one, that is a crime. (laughs) If those (laughs) images are of your 12- or Mm 13-year-old child, you just distributed child Mm -hmm. pornography by statute. That's a crime. Do not do that. Do not ever email it to the detective, right? Oh, I found this on my daughter's device or my son's device, and I'm going to email this to you so you have it. Do not do that. That is a crime. You don't want to become a suspect in a crime when you are trying to do the right thing. I know this is a novel concept, but take the device away from your child. As hard as it may seem, and I've had parents say, I need to be able to get in touch with my child. Okay, well, you know what? Pull out one of them flip phones and charge it up and uh, get a month's worth of prepay on the device that they can only call and program only your number in there, and you'll be fine. You know, this is going to be gone for a little while. Uh, Take the device, right? Um, At that point, let us do our job and report it to the police. Most of the time it doesn't happen. I've seen situations with um, cultural things. Hey, we're just going to take care of this. I literally had a case that involved a, a, a church that held what's called a tribunal to resolve a matter between an adult and a child. And just craziness like that. Um, Let us do the job. Let us build the best case that we can absolutely build and move forward accordingly. Um, We have resources. We have contacts. We have information. We can put that child and that family back on the path of empowering them to not make poor decisions in the future, if that's what's being a part of the, the course. So I listened to one of your, we're going to get into your podcast in a minute, but I, I listened to one of them and, and there was, there's all these common nicknames and these little, you know, twink. Can you kind of yeah. talk about, like, like yeah. talk about some of these that way to kind of educate some of the uh, parents out there? Yeah. The, you know, 
I wouldn't normally recommend for parents, but I would I would get well versed in a thing called the Urban Dictionary. If they hear terminology or they hear their kids say something, that's so cap or whatever. Sus. Sus. Yeah. yeah. You know, things of that nature. The term you use, twink in that arena, you know, uh it's definitely a term that's used. Um, it, it's essentially um, a young hairless male is what that references. Uh, in that environment, I would be a bear. You would be a bear. Uh, you might not be a bear. You would probably be a twonk. <laughs> there wow. is a twonk. He's pointing at Kent. He's a yeah, twonk. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, yeah, definitely. You got me on that one. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to just... Just cruise through that without any. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks. And so there is a bunch of that. We like, can edit that out. Hopefully, we, we see the team, uh, the term POS, and so we think POS. We know that one, right? We've used it all the time yeah. as cops, but it's not what we think. That means, hey, I'm talking my parents over my shoulder. Uh, so now there's also things like, um, and, and it's evolved. That's a more old school thing when they're on the computer, right? And so. They could change screens very quick. Alt-Tab on a keyboard will change a, uh, a window, like, just that quickly. So if a kid's at home on a laptop doing homework or you think they're doing homework and you spot check and you look over, they probably have a window open that has their homework, right, or their research paper or whatever they're doing. But if you Alt-Tab on that t- keyboard, you're going to see maybe another window pop up that doesn't contain, uh, you know, has sites and things like that that um, may – not be so great same on a phone say instagram is a very big popular thing with kids right they have a fake instagram they have a real instagram a finsta versus a rinsta is what we kind of call it and so it's very simple if you're on an instagram page and you hold your thumb down on your lower right profile picture or image it'll switch over it'll just switch over and you'll and that's how easy it is to switch things back over so parents need to educate themselves about the technology and uh, we're going to talk about the podcast, and I'll tell you a, a really great resource they can use to educate themselves. All right, your podcast. Mm-hmm. Tell it, Catfish Cops. Can you can you tell the listener about when it got started and what its original mission is and what it's evolved to and what are, what are you yeah. trying to? So the evolution here? of it. Um, I have a brother who's retired from Las Vegas Metro, and. Um, I had conversations with him early on about stuff. He used to always be on me. You should write a book, write a book. And I, I was like, whatever, you know, like, I don't know how to do all that. And so then he's the, he's very non-technical, right? He doesn't understand technology at all, but he said to me like, Hey, you should do a podcast. And at the time I was like, what the heck's a podcast? I don't even know what that is. And he's like, Oh dude, you can plug in like anything you have an interest in. You can listen to it. He's like, it's, it's great. And he goes, as many stories as you got, you should do that. And I was like, Oh, well, that's cool. I'll look into it. And I did. I researched podcasts and I started listening. And I don't think I've listened to regular radio in six or seven years. And so uh, myself and my podcast partner, Brandon, we talked about it. We said, man, we should do this. We should do this. And we went back and forth about when and what, what to call it, all these different things. And um, I finally just, this was back in like 2019. And we were having these conversations about it. And so I'm researching the heck out of it. I'm one of those, you know, I dive in head first and it's over. And so I dive in and I'm one to just jump off the ledge versus like doing all this assessment evaluation. Right. And so I looked up all the equipment and then I just jumped off the ledge and I bought it all. You know, I, I uh, told my wife, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy this equipment and, 
here's where we're going to go. And, and um, this was getting into 2020, right, pre-COVID. And we were supposed to launch right before that. We're on the first part of um, January 2020. And then COVID hit, and then a few other things hit, and we, uh, we maybe not. Well, then we were invited to go on to a YouTube page, um, kind of as a um, – education piece you know and it was two retired uh homicide guys from somewhere else and uh it was called profiling evil and so they asked us to come on um and we teach outside of here so it was all part of that and then we went on this live deal and um prior to the show starting the guy was like hey do you want to launch you got anything you're hawking a book or anything i was like well we have this podcast he's like cool let's launch it so literally we literally launched it that night on that live episode and um because he told me he's like hey we're gonna have twenty five thousand people watching this like why not push it out i'm like okay and um so we did and that was august of 2020 um the idea behind it was initially underlying issue we wanted to educate and raise awareness that's ultimately what it was for it began as storytelling and you know war stories and things of that nature because everywhere we go everything we do we're always asked about hey tell us one of this and people don't believe the stories and so we would be telling these and so it kind of started as that we sucked at it in the beginning i'm not gonna lie our first two or three are terrible uh but nonetheless- I, I know the feeling we still suck so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it evolved and then we started interviewing people and we started bringing in other ICAC people and we want to highlight other people's good work all around the world um, and then the education side of it the component for education and raising awareness and that's really our catalyst for what we do and we've developed the website catfishcops.com is the website and we have a resource page and you can go to the resource page and we've partnered with a lot of people one being the carly ryan foundation that's sonia ryan uh, her daughter carly is the one that was murdered in uh, australia and and it's a one-stop shop like if parents have questions about third-party apps or victim resources or uh, monitoring programs just go to our website, catfishcops.com slash resources, and you'll see it. It's a one-stop shop. If you don't know what TikTok is, if you're one of those hidden parents head in the sand, go there, click on it, and there's a one-page document that tells you everything about it. You can go to the flip side of it and see, hey, here's some appropriate settings for your kid's phone. Go to your kid's phone. Here's a picture. Do this, do this, do this. This is the safest way you can let them use this tool. Um, and so that's really what it's about for us. We... We just want to raise awareness and educate people and really just empower people to, you know, push through. No, that's amazing. Uh, we all we all start something for a reason. We have a mission. Yeah. And, and when we started this podcast, it was for a reason to bring up awareness and to, to learn from stories and to mm-hmm. educate and inspire Absolutely. and motivate, however you want to do it, what it, call it. But it does evolve yeah. at the very least. Yep. You'll get at the very least. You'll get pure entertainment, and yeah. and 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 hearing you and you and your uh, and Brandon hearing y'all chat and, and and the banter. It's it's that right there alone. But then when you break right. down the actual content, you will get educated and in something that honestly, the very high majority of the uh, population they don't know about this. No, yeah. they don't. They want to know, but they don't know where to look. Right. I, and I'll tell you honestly, what blew my mind about the podcast is I honestly thought we'd have. 25 listeners mm-hmm. and then it'd fizzle out in about two or three months um however the reach that it has had is amazing to me like what you don't 
understand about podcasting is you see a lot of the analytics about who's watching on what devices, on what yeah. platforms, what countries, what cities, what states. And that's what blows my mind. Like the, to think that within two years, going on our third year now, we've crested almost 150,000 downloads. Like mm-hmm. to me that I'm like, what the what? And, and, and the, honestly, I'll say to the listener, downloads don't even – encompass listens or plays right because it's so hard to quantify right stream because i don't download anything i'm right. sorry i'd probably do my own podcast a disservice i don't download i just i just play or listen play yep. in every single spotify apple amazon iHeartRadio. Yep. they all calculate them differently but the only thing you can get some kind of simple symbols of accuracy is is uh downloads correct yeah. and, and they have to be verified through the lab uh, right yeah they, they, they have to be verified but even that is not accurate so when he's saying he's got one hundred fifty thousand downloads like you do not know how many people are listening right. yeah. across the world not just the united states but across yeah. the world and that's what threw me was we we had a listener reach out to us from cambodia yeah. And there was another one that was listed from a country I've never even heard of. I had to look it up on a map to figure out where it was. I'm like, what? And yeah. they're like, hey, we heard your podcast. And, and I'm always like, how? How did you hear about us? How did you get to it? Oh, this, this, this. You know, I talked to this person. I was at a conference, saw this or whatever, saw a webinar you did. And that just blows my mind. But um, that was a game changer for us because that person from Cambodia, uh, you know, reached out to say, hey, quit soft soap and things like tell it the way it is uh, because people need to hear the reality. You know, we try to, we try to be as correct as we can. And, and, and we want to be respectful. We do. And we, and we don't do it for the shock and awe, even though there is shock and awe in almost all of it. Um, However, it's just one of those deals where, you know, we, we try to be diligent about things and, and just make people aware of what's going on. But sometimes it, it comes at a cost and, and ours, you'll see, we give a warning like, Hey, this is not kid friendly. Uh, don't, don't let your kids listen. To yeah. I don't listen to car. yours when Carmen's in the car. <laughs> yeah. So I don't blame you. Yeah, there no. are some episodes where you, you know, you can listen. We've done interviews with our own family, our own kids, uh, things of that nature. But, um, it's why the name catfish cops. So that evolved over uh, time as well. We were trying to figure out what was going on and the crux of it is like, that's what we do every day. We we're online catfishing people, and and I know there's a whole TV show that's that's geared towards that. Um, it honestly, I didn't even know that TV show existed when we first came up with the idea with this. Uh, the logo is a combination of a drawing that I did between uh, myself and Brandon's wife. She's an amazing artist, um, and so I did a version, and she did a couple iterations, and then we I stole something from one she did, and. And then so we got this kind of combined deal. We we actually went into this heads up and forward thinking. So we trademarked our logo and we trademarked our, our name and all of the things that, um, you know, we may not have thought of. But I like I said, I did a ton of research about longevity. You know, a lot of people think, oh, man, you must make a killing off that. We don't make a dime off of it. No, like we I, lose same, money. Same. Yeah. yeah, we we absolutely lose money on the deal, um, and and it's never. It was never about the money. It was never even about the potential for that because there's always that potential down the road, um, and but that's that's not what it's about for us. We're not looking to line our pockets. We're looking to educate people and make change for the better for kids. What's well, a way of service too? It's it's another yeah, way of right. service and continuing your service that you've done for. 
three decades. Yeah. Right. And, and it's almost a full-time job. Like, no. I'm telling you, I, I'm jealous of the fact that you guys, <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, it's, it is almost a full-time job. No, I, I'm, yeah, it, it is a lot of work behind the scenes and uh, the, the preparation and setting these up. And last night I was sitting there typing out a loose flow for this. I, I didn't, I wasn't too concerned with your yeah. episode because you, you're a pro at this. Uh, well, You've been doing it longer than I have. And, and, you know, and you, I wasn't worried about you, but there are some that I have to really get. It's oh, not yeah. that everybody's not always, a, they always have a good story to tell. It's getting right. it out of them. Yeah. You know, and that's a different, you know, as an interviewer, which I'm not a professional interviewer by any means, anybody knows me, knows that. Right. But putting somebody in a comfortable environment to where they feel they can share some of the the worst days of their life, yeah, you know, and absolutely. we, and we do that. And, um, and I, and I think we've been very lucky with, um, with the evolution of this, you guys have had some great episodes. I'm t- I was telling yeah. you in the hallway on the way here. I, I know I went to Texas State yesterday. On the way back, I listened to uh, Shelby Houston's uh, episode, which made me cry like a blubbering baby uh, <laughs> a second time because I was at the, actually at the funeral uh, of her dad, and and to see her get on that stage and just have the courage to to say the words that she said was was mind blowing. Like it's, it was mind blowing to me and she's an amazing, amazing kid. And I know she's an adult, but I, you know, refer to her as a kid. Just, I just see my own kids in her and, and, uh, anyway, it was empowering. She's an Mm -hmm. inspiration to humanity. I mean, really that's what, you know, and I was so nervous about, uh, I was so nervous about doing her recording because I'm sitting here with a, you know, a victim of an, of a fallen officer, the daughter yeah. that, that, I mean, I, and I, and we were, Kent was very nervous too. He, you know, we were sitting there and I kind of had, I told Chris Webb and his wife, I said, Hey, if you see me start to waver, <laughs> you need to jump in and Chime help in. me because I can't, I can't fight through getting choked up. Well, you guys have had some powerful ones. Like, uh, I also listened to, uh, what was the girl's name? Gretchen. Oh, Gretchen. Oh, man. Gret- oh yeah. my gosh. That was incredible. It had a little of everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it that yeah. she literally has a lifetime of tr- different yeah. types of trauma mm-hmm. that has you guys are paving her. the path, man. This is, well, thank uh, you. it's, it's encouraging for me as a fan of podcasts. Um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's work. It's more work than anybody ever knows. Uh, but there's so much value in it. When I get messages from people that are way out of the country from different parts of the country and, yeah. out, and, and, and out, of, out of the country, it is so rewarding to hear things. Yeah. And, um, I, man, I got, I got so many messages on Gretchen's episode and just, we just released Joey's episode, uh, in, you know, and and I'm getting so many. I'm getting messages from people I didn't even know listen that right. I, that are close to me that I don't know listen. They reach out. It's surprising. It's rewarding, and it's motivation to keep going. And I know right. you feel the same way. Yeah, it it is. It's it's it is rewarding. It's time consuming and and work. But at the end of the day, it's when you hear from those people and validates what you're doing, and you just think, man, like I never would have thought this is what it would have evolved into and, and what it's brought. But, um, I, you know, I'm all about highlighting all the great things people are doing all over the country. And, and I wish, and I obviously when I retire, whenever that's going to be, it'll be one of my primary focuses. I'll, I'll do nothing but that. And I, I want to just meet as many ICAC people out there as I possibly can. And, um, they can learn from you. You you can be a mentor from, from in retirement for, for, generations of, of ICAC in yeah, Texas. Yeah, hopefully. It feels like there's a shelf life to it because technology evolves yeah. and all that kind of stuff, but I think the foundational stuff is great. 
Um, and that's where I'm at sort of in my career now. I, I like really just one aspect of, of it now. I like the chatting side of it, and I like the teaching side. I just I want to spread the wealth and spread the wisdom if there's any wisdom left <laughs> to there's be There's plenty of wisdom. And, and I hope you do. I mean, because yeah. th- this profession and this and this type of investigative uh, – this this inve- type of investigation it needs it it yeah. needs it needs you're always going to need a mentor right so i have a final topic i want to get on okay uh you just were notified you were going to uh receive an uh, uh quite quite an honor yeah. for uh a you know a peace officer law enforcement uh in the united states can you talk about the phone call that you got and, yeah. and what this is about so I received a phone call maybe a month or month or two ago, probably a couple months at this point, from a guy who told me, hey, I'm so-and-so from the National Law Enforcement Officers um, Museum, and uh, you've been nominated for an award, um, a, a career achievement award in the National Hall of Fame. That's the National Law Enforcement Officers Hall of Fame it's not a museum. I shouldn't have said museum. It's the National Law Enforcement Officers Hall of Fame. It's in Ohio? It's in Toledo, Ohio. Yeah. And uh, I got the phone call, and I literally thought it was my buddy Clint messing with me. Like I was like, who is this? And I was like, how'd you get my number? And I thought it was Selling a joke. Selling Amway? Yeah, <laughs> because I, I'll be quite honest. Prior to the phone call, I'd never even heard that it – I didn't know that it existed. I had never heard of it. And um, and I said, how'd you get my name and number? And, and the guy gave me my boss's real name and i thought oh wait this might be legit he might actually be a legit thing and he's like let me send you an email so he sent me an email that had some information and i found out that my boss um my lieutenant my captain played a role in nominating me for this um induction and so next week um which by the time i guess this gets out it'll be months from now i don't know um you know, I am going next week to receive that honor in Toledo, Ohio. My family's all going up there. My brother's coming in from out of state. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very humbled. Honestly, I'm very humbled. Um, I know, and I, the story I shared earlier about the little girl that self-reported, uh, that's a big component of why I'm getting this award. And, I mean, I'm just honored and uh, grateful to the police department for Garland PD to allow me the flexibility to do what i'm doing and and it's never again for any kind of accolades but um i get a lot of ribbing in the halls about this as well you know like two guys one guy walks by and he just bows he's like you know he's like i don't know anybody in the hall of fame and i'm like well i'm not in it yet yeah is it fair for us to call you tony the goat godwin <laughs> oh that's oh i'm gonna title that's what i'm gonna title this episode oh my gosh, that, uh, well that's that's very You're humbling as well now. i guess yeah i don't know it's yeah it, it, i'm i'm excited it'll be fun and uh I, the guy actually called me the other day and he's like hey you got your speech written yet and i was like what i was like what are you talking about and he's like oh no you you gotta you're gonna have to give a little speech I was like, man, I can talk the paint off a wall. I was like, yeah, I'll be all right. I'm good. He's like, trust me, write it down. <laughs> That's yeah. what he told me. I was like, oh, the voice of experience here for this. So, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. I'm I'm super grateful. And I remember calling my boss afterwards going, what did you do? What, what did you do to me? Uh, so, yeah. No, that's incredible. You, you 
you know, people, people like you and in, in this profession and none of us, sometimes we get awards, they're unexpected. We don't, we don't see it coming. Right. And, um, look at all the lives that you touched, not just the victims, their families, their, the rel the, the relatives of the victims, right. uh, the far reaching, the, the amount of officers that you touched and trained so they can spider web out the success and helping right. people. You got to think about that. That is worth, you know, that no award can thank you enough for what yeah. you've done and what you're going to continue to do uh, for this profession and, and, and especially for this this type of investigation. Right. It's important, and it's not for everybody. I mean, yeah, shit, that's we, true. You, you, <laughs> it's not for everybody, yeah. but it needs to be done to get some kind of justice, and that's why what haunts you all these years is you yeah. don't feel that you got justice on that one case of the guy that has right. freedom on, on his, on yeah, his face. Exactly. Cause he doesn't deserve freedom to nope. be honest. So that is true. Well, I think this is a perfect way to wrap it up. I think we got, we're over two hours. Holy smoke. Yeah. See? Man, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I love, <laughs> love it. it. No, it's perfect. it's perfect. Uh, we could have gone another hour easily, but right. I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you for being the, hall of fame professional that you are i appreciate that. And, and superstar uh uh detective and you you're you're willing to take on being a mentor for many others and that's admirable in itself of you wanting to make other people better Absolutely. you want to save lives but make them better that says a lot about you well i appreciate the opportunity and uh i tell you all to keep keep plugging away man i love what you're doing and I'm a big fan. I'm a big listener. Thank you. First well, time caller, long time for, listener. Yeah. Well, yeah. Go to uh, www.catfishcops.com. Yep. To look up any information on on uh, what they've got out there. Uh, I'm gonna. I want to look a little deeper, and I want to spread that. I'm gonna when I put this episode out. But even leading up to it, I do a bunch of teasers, and I do want pictures of you at the Hall of Fame. Okay. Uh, yeah, banquet, yeah, please. I'm sure my wife will be taking plenty of those. Yeah, and wear a nice suit. Come on, yes, don't, don't, don't wear the Hawaiian shirt with the flip flops. Actually, please. ran into our uh, city attorney at the suit store. He's like, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> I was like, "I got this award. I gotta wear a suit." <laughs> yeah. Listeners, check out Catfish Cop podcast. Uh, it's it's amazing. They these guys have so much knowledge. They're putting out on us, and it's needed. We need to hear it. It is not a but. You won't find out about the best lakes for catfish no, catfish fishing or noodling out in oklahoma you right. will not find out about information that. on that but you will find that actually real information that could save your family's lives and hopefully hopefully yeah, yeah. hope so thank you tony thank you i appreciate it hey brother hey sister i'll never give up on you Mrs. A. Mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far the sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you. Hey, brother, hey.
I'll never give up on you. 